welcome to this week's episode of the Insights and Co podcast. You're welcome back again, so settle down and let's This week's podcast brings another different variety of questions, so let's go through them. Question number one says, can a woman have it all? When I heard that question, I asked another group of ladies, what does all mean? And one of the best answers I got was, all is everything that you want and you desire. So can a woman have it all? If we look at the modern example, um, having it all seems to comprise of having a great career or a great business, family life, being on top of everything. You know, there are a lot of pressures coming from all around. And in that sense, it seems like you can't have it all because of there's always give in one area. You can have a really successful career and go for all the promotions, but maybe your family life isn't the way you want it to be. Or you can have a fantastic family life and you spend all of the time you want to spend with your children, with your family, and you know, you cook gourmet meals, but then you don't work outside the home and you don't find that fulfilling. So in that sense, it seems like you can't really have it all because if you can't have what society demands you should be doing, and it just isn't possible to do everything in that way. So if having it all is what you want, then you can have it all in that sense. So you focus on what the all is for you. It doesn't have to be what is demanded of you. If your all is a great family life, then you go for it. If your all is a great career, a great career then go for that also. A good biblical example can look at of um, a woman having it all is the Proverbs 31 woman if we read through the scriptures we see that this was a woman that was doing a lot she was very busy she had several businesses she was making linen garments and selling them she was supplying sashes to the merchants she was planting vineyards Um, she was also raising her household looking after her children looking after her husband And the feedback was good. Everything that she was doing, she was doing it well. Her children were rising up and calling her blessed. Her husband said the same of her. And it said of her, let her works praise her in the gates. So she was a busy woman. She was doing a lot, but she was getting it done. So maybe we need to look to that biblical example instead of the example from the world where everything that she was meant to be doing, she was doing it and she was doing it right in that sense we can definitely have it all then. If we know what we're meant to be doing, yes, we can have it all. Where it seems like we're falling short is when, you know, you get really busy and you have your finger in all the pies. So you look super busy, but then are you doing anything meaningful? So there is all in that. All is everything that you want, but also all needs to be everything that you're meant to be doing or that you're called to do. I think once you have those two things in place, then yes, definitely a woman can have it all. Question number two says, nowadays women are very career driven and focused on climbing up the career ladder. Is it a woman's fault if a man cheats on her because she is hardly at home? No, it is definitely not a woman's fault if her husband cheats on her because she's not at home. I don't think that that justifies him cheating. I don't think there's any justification for cheating anyway. If a husband feels lonely at home because of his wife is out at work, it doesn't solve the problem by him running to the arms of another woman. I think there'll be red flags before you get to the point where the husband is cheating because of his wife is not at home. Maybe you'll notice him becoming more distant or 
he's getting secretive with his phone or doesn't want to take phone calls when you're around. And I feel like if he's mature enough, he should be able to come and discuss it with you and say, look, you're not around so much and I'm feeling lonely or I feel like we need to spend more quality time together. Or if you notice the red flags, then maybe you call him for a talk and say, oh, well, look, it's like you're a bit distanced from me. Is there an issue? Is there anything we can talk about? Is there anything that I can do? So I think before it gets to that point of adultery, then um, hopefully you'll be able to work on it before then you'll be able to notice. Um, just because the woman is working, it doesn't give the husband the right to go off and uh, seek comfort in the arms of another woman. You need to discuss it together and see what can we do to improve the relationship? You know, what can we do so that you don't feel like, you know, you don't get to that point of cheating. So if it's that you have to spend more quality time together and you set out a regular date night once a week or once a month, then arrange that together. Um, it doesn't mean that the wife's career needs to be sacrificed. But workarounds need to be made, you know. You both have feelings. So while the wife is going for a promotion, maybe it's something that the husband's not either entirely happy with or, and you know, maybe he doesn't want to voice it, so you just need to discuss that. Cheating is not justified because a woman is not at home. There shouldn't be any guilt on the wife's part because of that. You just need to have a mature discussion, hopefully notice any red flags before it gets to that point. But cheating is not the answer. It's not going to solve anything. It's just going to create a stickier situation. Question number three says, is it the husband's responsibility to check your mother-in-law? So his mother. The answer to this is yes. It's, it's down to the husband to stand up for his spouse. Um when it comes to his mother, when you're marrying someone, it's like you're bringing a virtual stranger into the family because you don't just marry your spouse, you marry into their entire family. And so maybe the way the mother-in-law is talking to the, the daughter-in-law is in a way that she doesn't like, but it's not necessarily for the daughter-in-law to go in all guns blazing towards the mother-in-law. She needs to go to her husband and say, look, your mama said this to me. You know, it upsets me when she talks to me that way. And then the husband can be the bridge in between and say, look when he talked to my wife, maybe say it like this or say it like that, and just to protect his wife. And this doesn't apply only in marriage, but before marriage as well, when you're bringing that potential person home, it's like the whole family has their guards up, you know, who's this that's coming into the family? So you need to stand up for your potential spouse, you need to protect them. If anyone's got anything negative to say, you need to defend them and say, nope, that's not how he is. You don't know him as well as I do. And you emphasise his positive attributes so that over time people will get used to your husband or wife to be and will fall in love with them and get to know them the same way that you have done question number four says how do you handle having two small children so this question is a personal one it's from somebody that I know because I have two daughters who are aged three and almost two two in about two months and how do I handle them? Well, I planned to have a very small age gap, so I can't complain about that bit. That was the plan, and we managed to get pretty close to the plan. So the small age gap is not so much an issue. The older they've gotten, even though they're still quite little, the easier it has become. When I had a one-and-a-half-year-old and a newborn, it was pretty tough, and even at six months and two, it was tough. But the older they get, the easier it gets as they just get a little bit more independent sometimes too independent <laughs> with the two of them even though they're close in age they've got very different personalities so the main thing is that I, I discipline them differently according to the way they need it you know I might be a bit tougher on one because if she's just 
more energetic and just needs reining in a bit more. And the other one, I can just talk to her and say, look, you know, you don't do things like that. And that's enough to, you know, stop her from behaving like that because she doesn't want to disappoint anybody. And when it comes to raising the children, my husband and I know that what we reap in them is what we sow. So a lot of it is prayer, you know, God, how should I deal with these children? How should I deal with this situation? And it's like, not the raising of them that is so difficult, but it can be other people's comments. Everybody always has something to say about what you're doing with your children. I've heard it said that the best parents are the ones that don't have children yet. So you have a lot of armchair parents making comments. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. So it's just trying to take in the advice where it's needed and then kind of politely brushing off the rest because of I know that with my eldest daughter's personality for instance she is very very friendly so we can go out and she's talking to complete strangers hello how are you she'll ask them where's your mummy where's your daddy and so obviously I have to keep her safe in that not every stranger is a friend but at the same time I don't want to curtail her personality completely because of God has packaged certain things inside her for what he's called her for so I'm not trying to curtail it but I just need to keep her safe because she's still a child but also let her flow in it so obviously other people are not going to be aware of all of that so you know they don't need to be too involved in her upbringing where I'm sure I pray about it I try and raise them in wisdom you know I look to the word I ask other parents other people about their experiences you know there are times when things seem so difficult and you just can ask like an older mother like an auntie and they'll be like oh you know, I went through that. Trust me, you would have forgotten about it in six months. And it just makes the whole situation a little bit easier. So I just do the best that I can to raise them. And I just, I'm thankful that I'm a Christian because I have God on my side to help me. Question number five is not so much of a question, but it's just a statement that says cultural differences. So just to talk about that a little bit, when you get married, you're two very different people with different viewpoints, different upbringings that are coming together into one household. And there are things that you're going to agree on and things that you're not going to agree on. And so it's good to discuss these things before you get married and decide, you know, what's the the one united way that we're going to go forward on these things? And it can be things like discipline of children, you know, attitude to handling money, food even the way you treat your families, you have to just bridge these things together, discuss them, agree upon it. So with your cultural differences, you might find that one um, party in marriage is all about corporate punishment. You know, if a child misbehaves, they've got to be beaten. That's how you deal with it. Whereas you might find that the other spouse is like, if the child misbehaves, you get down on their level, you talk to them and say, you know, little child, we mustn't do things like that. And then that's sufficient for them. Sometimes cultural differences can cause a huge problem because of, especially when it comes to things like discipline of children, it's so ingrained in you culturally, the way that you deal with it, that it can become a major clash if you don't talk about it and agree on how you're going to move forward. For me and my husband, we're from the same country of origin, but he was born and raised there and I was born and raised in the UK. So even coming from the same country, we have differences in our culture. So... For food, for example, cool, absolutely no problem. If I cook it, he'll eat it. If he cooks it, I will eat it. Like, we don't have an issue there. But there are other things where we might disagree because of cultural differences. 
So, for instance, my husband went to private school in Ghana. I went to a state school in the UK. Our experience of education are completely different. Um, his school would have been very disciplined. My school would have been like, you just do your best, you know? If you've got a great teacher or a bad teacher, you've just got to do your best to model through it. Our attitudes to money might be different. For example, growing up in Ghana, my husband might have um, servants at home. That is pretty much unheard of in the UK for like a normal working class or middle class family. So you have difference in these kind of things. I think a lot of the time it's not a problem. As long as you, you're both willing to adjust, um, if something seems to be non-negotiable, that's where it's going to be a barrier and a problem. So you need to be aware of the cultural differences. I know it's all about love, you're in love, you're in love. But when you marry someone from a completely different culture from you, I'm telling you, problems... Not that problems will arise, but there are going to be places where you don't agree. I have an aunt who's Ghanaian, who's married to a German man. You know, they're, they're fine, they've got a great marriage, but there are things they just do completely differently from each other. They have a child together and, you know, you're not going to agree in everything. Yeah, so for cultural differences, just talk about it. It's, it's good to, to hear about each other's um, upbringings, isn't it? It's nice to discuss that when you're caught in, so just have a chat about it. See, what do you guys think is the best way to do things shouldn't really cause too much of a problem at all for my topic today i want to talk about the importance of wisdom to live life you've got to be wise so wisdom is a God kind of intelligence, not the wisdom of the world where you can be really clever and accumulate qualifications. That's not really that important. If you can live with wisdom, then you're doing things the way that God has ordained it and you're walking right, you know, you're not making as many mistakes. So the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 8 that when God created the world, that wisdom was by his side as a master craftsman. That means you need wisdom to build. You need wisdom to build your house. You need wisdom to build your life. It's an essential building block and part of life. I love reading the book of Proverbs because there's just so many good tidbits for life that you can just build yourself on. Proverbs 24 says that through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. Proverbs 14.1 says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So can you think about how much power and influence you have as a woman, that you can build your whole house, but if you're foolish, you're pulling it down with your own hands. The same thing that you worked hard to build. So we can look in the Bible and see that Queen Jezebel was a woman of influence. Her husband was the king, reigning over so many provinces. And she used her influence and her position of power for evil in that she tried to end the worship of God in those times and she killed the prophets of God as well and on the flip side we can look at Queen Esther who was a woman of influence she was the queen to Xerxes who ruled over many provinces and she used her position of power to influence him for good she saved an entire people because of her influence and she did it in a very wise way in those times to go into the king without the royal command so without being called by the king could result in death and she was able to use her wisdom she didn't do it craftily she didn't manipulate him to um, have an audience before the king and beg for the life of her people she fasted beforehand so she had spiritual backing and a foundation before she went in and she was successful 
in securing the life of the Jewish people. So as a woman, you have to be aware of the power that you have, the influence that you have. Your words are very powerful. You can build up a person with it. You can break down a person with it. Even when you're speaking to people, you have to be so careful about how you speak because of everything that you're speaking is a seed into somebody's life. And so you might say something hurtful and not think there's any result from it, but you don't know what's festering away after you've said that. And it's the same in speaking to your friends and speaking to your husband. In um, Proverbs 31, it says that she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So you have to think that this wife is building her husband up with life-affirming words, with words of encouragement, words of wisdom, guiding him, helping him. And that's what we all aspire to be like. So let's look through the word for scriptures that we can stand on. Let's speak in wisdom. It also says that the law of kindness is, on her, is in her mouth. So let every word be deliberate. Let it be seasoned. Let it be life-giving as we're speaking out because of we bear life, we are nurturers. So let's not underestimate the, the power in being a woman. And let's use it for good, like Queen, like Queen Esther, and grow and nurture life with our words. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, send me a message on social media, Instagram at InsightCo1, Twitter at InsightCo1, and send your questions and I'd love to hear what you think. I had some feedback about one of my questions last week, which was um, about can you date and not marry and try your best not to fornicate, where they said it didn't agree with my answer. So I'd love to hear what everybody else thinks. Um, is it possible? Can you just date and date and date and date and date and not be naughty? Let me know. Thanks for listening. Bye.